Brothers and sisters, it's a rare occasion uh, when we can be taught by a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. And as you can see, our devotional format is going to be a little different today. Uh, Elder Bednar will not be giving a formal prepared message. Uh, rather, uh, we'll be having a conversation amongst Sister Cush and me and Elder Bednar. When we conclude, uh, the benediction will be offered by Benjamin Roffler, a student from Zurich, Switzerland. And following the benediction, we would just ask that you uh, remain in your places while we, uh, while we leave the stage. Now, in keeping with our devotional tradition and engaged learning at the college, we'd, let's show that we've come prepared today to be taught by the Spirit. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, Elder Bednar, you and I first met on the 18th of March, 2002, in Rexburg, Idaho, in my final um, interview for a faculty position at BYU-Idaho. And that was the beginning of uh, what we consider really a cherished friendship and, and service over the years with you and, and uh, with Sister Bednar that now spans over two decades, which is hard to believe. Uh, that first interview, as you uh, described it, was going to be a conversation amongst friends, and that's what we're going to do today. Um, and as we were reviewing this too, we, uh, I, we think this is the first time that you've had an official assignment to come to Ensign College uh, to speak during your ministry as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. So I think that makes your visit today rather historic. I think they finally trust me to come and not create a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, truly, our, our relationship with, with you has been, been a cherished, uh, cherished experience. And uh, so you left comfortable circumstances in Arkansas um, and a, a great position at the Univers University of Arkansas to respond to the call of a prophet to go to Rexburg, Idaho and preside over Rex College at the time. That meant change for you. Um, Alinda and I had the opportunity to leave Northern California, also go to Rexburg, Idaho for a season. And it meant change for us too. Um, would you just teach us about change, being willing to change? You led a transition, a historic transition from Rick's College to BYU-Idaho. People had to learn to change. You had to help people understand change. We've had a little bit of experience about changing things here at Ensign College too. So what would you teach us about change? Uh, I'm assuming that uh, most or all of you are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you don't like change, I recommend you join another church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be silly or sarcastic. We are to come unto the Savior, we are to follow Him, and we are to be born again. We are to experience the mighty change of heart. Repentance is change. Learning and education produces change. The essence of our mortal experience is to not remain the same. Oftentimes people will say, oh, just leave me alone. I like the way things are. Well, God doesn't like things the way they are in us. I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's not that he's unhappy but we are not here in this mortal existence to just stay the same. So we're blessed with remarkable spiritual gifts. The restoration of the gospel teaches us our eternal purpose and destiny. 
And you don't achieve that destiny by just hunkering down and staying the same. The natural man and the natural woman hates change. The man and woman of Christ learns to love change and the lessons that are learned in the process. So uh, I think that's one of the fundamental aspects of overcoming the natural man and the natural woman is not resisting change, but embracing change and learning from it. So could I ask, I'm just really interested, you know, by the time I met Sister Bednar, she had been in Rexburg for a period of time. Yeah. Um, when the opportunity came for you, how did she feel about it? And how did she come to love being able to move someplace where she never lived? Well, I won't take a long time, but there's a little bit of a backstory. If Susan were here, she would tell you that one of the hopes that she had for many, many years is that when I finished my graduate work, we would end up in the West. Well, we were in the Midwest in Arkansas. She had a, a desire to live closer to her family so that our children would know their grandparents. And so she prayed for that, didn't demand, didn't insist, but she just prayed that we'd be closer to her parents and her family. 20 years later, the prayer was answered in the invitation to come to Rexburg, Idaho. So that aspect of it was very exciting. Uh, we were well embedded in the community in Fayetteville. We loved it there. Uh, so leaving was challenging and very hard. We, I had never been to Rexburg. I had never been to Rick's College. I didn't know one thing about it. So I said, okay, let's go. And uh, we just learned as we got there. But for Susan, it was uh, coming back closer to home and she was thrilled about that. That's, that's great. Well, yeah, we've, uh, we've come to appreciate change too. As uh, we left California for Idaho and then Idaho for Mexico and then Mexico back to Idaho and, and uh, Idaho to Salt Lake City. Yeah. And uh, we wouldn't change the opportunities to change for anything in the world. It's been a real blessing for us. Um, so you didn't know anything about Rexburg before you got there? No, in fact, I was interviewed by uh, Elder Eyring and Elder Perry, and they said, uh, Brother Bednar, what would you do? Uh, what would be some of your major objectives if you became the president of Rick's College? And I said, I have no idea. I've never been there. I don't know one thing about it. I think it would be very presumptuous to say, well, here's what I would do. So I'd have to kind of find out what's going on before I could answer your question. I'm sure that was the right answer. <laughs> I, said, I said, this is over. I mean, we're not going anyplace with this. And uh, you, you were willing to leave something very significant there too in the situation that you had at the university. And was that hard, or was it just part of the consecrated life of David and Susan Bednar? The answer is, uh, I'll give a couple of words to describe it, but not in any particular order. It was absolutely energizing. Now, I know enough about the world of higher education that I never wanted to be a president of a university. I never wanted to be a dean. I never wanted to do any of that stuff, which was my only qualification to do it. 
Anybody who wants to be a dean, by definition, is unqualified. Anybody who aspires to be a university president, I don't think would be a very good one. So the only qualification ha I had was, it came out of nowhere, I knew nothing about the school, and I didn't really want to do it, but how do you tell President Hinckley no? <laughs> if I, I know this is being streamed and I'll regret saying this, but when Elder Iron called me about coming to Salt Lake for the interview, I was thinking, have you ever, you, kind of something, happens just in a moment, but it seems like a really long time. I'm listening to him invite me to come for the interview, and I'm going, how do I tell him no? I don't want to do this. <laughs> how do you tell a member of the Quorum of the Twelfth no? <laughs> and so he says, and we need you here just in the next couple of days. And I'm going, oh, sure. And that was it. <laughs> so it, it was demanding. I wouldn't say it was hard. It was demanding. And I remember with Betty Oldham, who was my secretary at the time, just before the public announcement was made, uh, the executive team was all getting ready for the next day, and she said, President Bednar, are you scared? And I said, if I thought we had to do this transition, I would be terrified but this is a part of the church educational system. The Lord is in charge of this. And knowing that we have his help, yeah, I'm a little apprehensive, but no, I'm not scared. So it was demanding, energizing. It wasn't scary, but you, you clearly wondered, have we got what it takes to pull this off? Because uh, this hasn't ever been done before. Yeah. Well, clearly you did, and clearly the Lord was with you every step of the way. Well, and the other thing is that it was a remarkable example of counseling in council. You may remember those crazy meetings where we had all of the various leaders from the entire campus, academic and non-academic, and we'd get into the Taylor building in that one large classroom. And uh, the president's council would simply say, we don't really know how to do this, but we think the first two steps are this. And then we say, so what happens to all these other departments on the campus if we do these two things? And these were pretty wild and crazy conversations. And we'd come back two weeks later, and we just kept doing that for months. And it's, it's uh, inaccurate to give any person or series of people credit for what took place. The vast majority, almost every person on that campus was anxiously engaged and in seeking inspiration to know how to do that. That's why it worked. That's great. I remember you teaching about light and being able to take a few steps into the darkness when you can just see the sun barely coming or in the fog. And that had to have been kind of what it was like. We, we can see enough into the future to say, if we do this, we think it will work, and then we can move on and move on. Sometimes people will say that, uh, well, this person has a gift of discernment and they can see through walls or they can see around corners. Well, part of the way you see around a corner is you keep moving your feet. It's not like you're Superman or Superwoman with x-ray vision and you just burn through the wall. But as you keep your feet moving, each time you take a step, your view around the corner is expanded. 
And that's how the whole transition of Ricks College to BYU-Idaho occurred. Line upon line, from time to time, precept upon precept. What an important lesson for all of us. That's the way, that's the way we should be living our lives, relying on the Lord and keeping our feet moving and asking and continuing to move. Well, and if you'll take, come follow me, and that instructional material in the church. Uh, you know, I've been a member of the Quorum of the Twelve for 18 and a half years. And people think, oh, I'm sure glad President Nelson kind of cooked that up when he became the president of the church. That has been in process for years. There have been few occasions in the time that I've served that we haven't been focused on those kinds of issues. And they're developed, and they mature, and they're refined line upon line, precept upon precept. I think that's a great way to transition into some more discussion, deeper discussion on revelation, personal revelation. Clearly, we know that the church is, is run in a, an inspired way and through, through revelation that comes to prophets, seers, and revelators. But uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about personal revelation. Okay. And, um, you know, there's always the question of, well, I've had this thought. Is it me? Is it the Holy Ghost? Is it the Lord? Is it just a thought? Um, should I follow it? How do I know? Uh, what should I do? Okay, are you all buckled up? <laughs> Here we go. I'm not going to suggest that there's one answer to this. There are lots of different ways to think about the answer to this question. Let me suggest a way that maybe you haven't thought about. In the culture of the church and in the language of the church, we seem to put a primary focus on gearing up and preparing to receive revelation when it comes. And that's accurate. But you're living in it. Instead of thinking about, oh, every once in a while I have to get spiritually supercharged so I'm sure to recognize it, that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. If you are a good girl, if you are a good boy, you don't have to be perfect. But if you are honoring your covenants and pressing forward with faith in the Savior, <clears throat> excuse me, then you're living in revelation. It doesn't just come once in a while. And the vast majority of the time, you are being influenced by the power of the Holy Ghost, and you have no idea that it's happening. We have the expectation that we have to be consciously aware in the moment that we are receiving revelation, and that is not true. In fact, I would suggest much revelation is occurring as we are simply pressing forward, being good, and trying to get better with God's help. The 80th section of the Doctrine and Covenants is a revelation to somebody named Stephen Burnett. And it's not very long. Have you ever wondered why are revelations like this one to Stephen Burnett in the Doctrine and Covenants? Who cares about Stephen Burnett? It's a mission call. He receives his call, he's given a companion, and then the Lord says, go to the north, go to the south, go to the east, go to the west, it mattereth not unto me. The Lord is not saying, I don't care where you go. He said, get going. Move your feet. And in essence, I think the Lord is suggesting, 
I'm going to get you where you need to be without violating your agency. But you've got to be moving for that to happen. I think too many times we pray and we sit there and we wait for something to happen, which means nothing's going to happen. When we act in faith, when we ask in faith, then when we say amen, we get to work on the thing we've been praying about and we're guided in ways that most of the time we don't even recognize. Now that may sound bizarre to you and we won't take the time to describe it, but if I were to ask President Sister Cush, did you ever think you'd end up in Rexburg, Idaho? Did you think you would ever end up in Salt Lake City as the president of the LDS Business College when it becomes Ensign College? They would have said, you're nuts to even suggest that. I used to write books about management stuff and career planning, and it's all baloney. <laughs> if you are a member of the church and you're trying to honor your covenants and be good and do good, God will help you be where you're supposed to be. So, I don't want to sound cavalier, but don't spend too much time worrying about if this thought is from the Holy Ghost or is it me. If it's inviting and enticing you to be good, to do good, to keep the commandments, to follow the Savior, to come under Him, of course it's coming from Him. If it's inviting and enticing you to do something contrary to the gospel or in violation of the commandments, you can know it's coming from an unworthy source. So if you're brushing your teeth early in the morning and while you're brushing your teeth, you remember, oh, I didn't pray. Is that you or the Holy Ghost? Who cares? Just pray. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's the right thing. And what you're being invited, <laughs> enticed to do is the right thing. Or maybe your mom, while you were growing up, would repeatedly tell you, be sure to pray this morning before you go, get going. Well, you're brushing your teeth, you're an adult, and all of a sudden you have a remembrance of your mom telling you to pray on a day when you forgot to pray. Well, is that just a thought or is that the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost brings all things to your remembrance. Doesn't it make sense? But the Holy Ghost would bring back a memory of your angel mother telling you and teaching you and reminding you to pray instead of sending Moroni. That makes sense to me. So be good and go. You're living in Revelation. It shouldn't be the rare event. Did that make any sense? Now, if you're not being good, you can't be perfect, so don't stress about that. But if you're not being good, then you can't have that confidence that you're gonna be guided. So if there's something in your life presently that inhibits the Holy Ghost from guiding you, then repent and do it soon and do whatever you need to do so that you can again wax strong in the presence of God, that His Spirit can be indeed your constant companion and you can have the assurance that you're going to get where you need to be so you can do what you need to do. Last comment on this, and then you can follow up in any way you want. Most of your answers won't be what you want or when you want. People pray, and they, it's like they're shopping at a store. Heavenly Father, I need this and this and this and this and deliver it by this time. <laughs> And if you don't get this and this and this and this by the time, well, God wasn't listening to my prayers. 
Yes, he was. You're not listening to the answers. So don't expect him just to provide a delivery service. You don't pray to tell God what you want or what you need. You pray to find out what God wants for you. Big difference. That will change the way you pray forever. And many times what he wants for us, because it involves change in what we are and what we do, it's not something that we readily want to hear or accept. That's one of the ways you know it's coming from heaven. If all of your answers are exactly what you want, you're giving yourself some of those answers. So he's not interested in making our life hard, but to become what we are destined to become as his sons and daughters doesn't come by staying the same, and it doesn't come by not having to deal with some demanding, difficult things. Thank you. So Did covenants, that, make any sense? that makes perfect sense. Not perfect. <laughs> well, almost perfect sense. Okay. <laughs> so um, covenants that we make in this life help us along the path to become what God wants, uh, wants us to become. And I'd like to read a, a quote from your April 2022 General Conference address, um, but we heeded them not, where you teach about covenants and covenant making. You said living and loving covenant commitments creates a connection with the Lord that is deeply personal and spiritually powerful. As we honor the conditions of sacred covenants and ordinances, we gradually and incrementally are drawn closer to Him and experience the impact of His divinity and living reality in our lives. Jesus then becomes much more than the central character in Scripture stories his example and teachings influence our every desire, thought, and action. Now, when you, when you taught that in conference, I think that statement was referring to all of the covenants that we make. But I wonder if you might comment about how what you taught relates specifically to temple covenants and how temple covenants bind us to God and to the okay. Savior. First of all, do you remember President Nelson said we shouldn't... Uh, speak of the atonement and disconnect it from the Savior. The atonement is not a standalone thing. Sometimes people will say, well, the atonement did this for me. No, the atonement didn't do anything for you. Christ did. It's the atonement of Jesus Christ. I would suggest we need to do precisely the same thing when we talk about covenants and ordinances. Covenants don't do anything. Neither do the ordinances. It's how they connect us to the Father and His plan and the Son and His infinite and eternal atoning sacrifice. I use the word connection simply because uh, I, I don't like the word relationship in connection with the Godhead. The only way any of us can ever understand relationship is in human terms. You know, I have a relationship with you over years. I have a relationship with my wife. That's helpful. I'm not suggesting that's wrong. We are connected by covenant with the Father and the Son. We become children of the covenant. The Savior says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
the invitation to come unto him. How do you do that in a very practical way? How do you come unto him? We exercise our moral agency to learn about his teachings and his doctrine, to accept the ordinances and covenants of his gospel. And I would suggest that in that process of coming to understand and accept the covenants and the ordinances, that's how we receive the yoke of Christ. Whenever Enoch was called to his holy responsibility, he was absolutely overwhelmed, blown away in the language of today. I'm but a lad, I'm slow of speech, and all the people hate me. And the response by the Lord is, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Therefore, walk with me. Now, the covenant path that takes us to the presence of the Father and the Son has a sequence in a series of covenants. First, we are baptized and confirmed. You can think of that as a, an ordinance of adoption into the family of the Father and the Son. As we continue to press forward, now don't take this, don't make a clean little dividing line. Okay, so oh, this is this and this is this. It's not that simple. But that's where we begin to press forward on the covenant path. You might think about that promise to Enoch, therefore walk with me. Temple covenants, not only do we come unto him, but we walk with him. Because through the covenants that we enter into in the temple, we in essence, as it describes in the Book of Mormon, give our whole soul unto him. It's the ultimate outcome of the mighty change of heart. We have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually, to turn out. What is the natural man and natural woman focused on? Me, self-centered and selfish. What is the man or woman of Christ as they go through this transformation by the power of the Holy Ghost through the covenants and the ordinances? They turn out to love, bless, and serve other people. So we're in the yoke as we are baptized and accept those first covenants. But think of being yoked and now walking with him. That to me is a glorious image of knowing that we are never alone. We have the companionship of the Holy Ghost, but we are also yoked to and with the resurrected and the living Christ by covenant. Thank you. Um, there's a question that Alinda and I have been asked often. I know it's a question that you have been asked often. I was asked it regularly as a stake president. I was asked it regularly as a mission president. And it's the balance question. And how do I balance everything that I've got to do in life? How do I manage school? How do I manage work? How do I manage a relationship? How do I find someone to have a relationship with? How do I do all this, keep my covenants, magnify a calling in my ward? And how do I do it all? Well, you're going to think my answer to almost everything is quit worrying about it. <laughs> Balance is bogus. There's no such thing. 
it, you're going to pursue this outcome that can never be achieved. There's no such thing as balance. You can only do one thing in one given moment. I'm here right now. Am I neglecting my wife? Am I neglecting my responsibilities serving in the church? Can't do it all in the same moment. People stress over and over, oh, I'm doing this, but I should be doing that. Well, you're not doing either one very well. So whatever it is you're doing, do it. If you're at home, be at home. You can be at home, but not be at home. Does that make sense? So for example, when I was a graduate student, the demands of that in my early professional career, you can bring a lot of stuff home and you're still at the office. You're not really home. You gotta learn over time how to be where you are in the moment that you're in that place. So if you're at church and you're worrying about everything else, you're not really at church. And you can only do one of those things at a time. And many people will have way too many things that they're trying to do all at the same time. Now, I did a social media post on this. You may have seen it. If not, go look it up on Instagram. If you've ever seen acrobats, they do this trick where they get a stick and they put a plate on the top of the stick and they spin it. And it's like they put one on their elbow and the plate is spinning and then they put their head back and they put one on their forehead and they do this. Have you ever seen this trick done? Okay. Do you ever have all the plates spinning at exactly the same revolutions per minute? No, it's impossible. I would suggest that's what people are suggesting with balance. You get all the pl plates spinning at exactly the same speed. You can't. What do you have to do? You gotta get to the plate that's gonna be the one that's gonna fall off first because it needs a spin. So you got to spin the personal development plate, not in this order, the service in the church plate, the family plate. I don't know how many plates you can spin, but I'm doing pretty good if I can do three or four, and that's about it. When you get to five, six, seven, eight, you're guaranteeing that you're not going to spin any of the plates, and some of them are going to fall down and break. So you got to be real clear about what matters most. And once you get clear about that, then it's a never-ending rotation among those fewer things that are the highest priorities, spinning the plate so that it never falls. Where do we find the courage to make those choices? When you really know what matters most, it's not hard. Elder Hales was my neighbor, Robert D. Hales. His wife just recently passed away. And he was our neighbor. And when he was uh, struggling with some of his health challenges, if I were home on a Sunday, I'd go spend time with him so his wife could go teach her Relief Society lesson. And one day I said, Elder Hales, you were a fighter pilot, you were a great baseball player, a phenomenal golfer. You've been physically robust and active your whole life and now you can barely move and he had to be pushed around in a wheelchair. I said, what have you learned going from that state of being so physically vibrant to now you're almost incapacitated? And he looked at me and he said, David, when you can't do what you've always done, then you only do what matters most. I hope you young people will burn that into your brain and heart. 
We all get caught up in doing a myriad of things that absolutely don't matter. If you were constrained, if you were restricted, if you were inhibited, and you didn't have all the capacities that you have now, wouldn't you be able to clearly say, this stuff doesn't matter? You don't have to be incapacitated to get real clear vision about what matters most. So don't wait to do that until you physically or in some other way may be limited. You can do that now and the Holy Ghost will help you. And once you do that, it's not like you do it once and it's done, you're constantly refreshing and renewing your understanding of what matters most. When you do that, it's just, in my judgment, it's not hard. In my Come Follow Me uh, reading this week and reading about uh, the Savior's experience of fasting for 40 days and then being tempted by the devil and all of those various things that he was tempted with, in every case, and I suppose this is no surprise given who he was, but in every case, he looked to God, he looked to his Father as the primary, the primary motivation, the primary thing that mattered most to him, and I think that's what you're suggesting. He, he knew and understood who he was. You can go to the first chapter of Moses in the Pearl of Great Price. He's confronted by the devil. And what's his response? He's just come from an experience where he's seen deity. He says, I can tell a difference between you and who I was just with. I'm a son of God. I'm not doing what you're telling me. That's an instructive lesson about how important it is to know who we are and the covenant connection we have with the Father and the Son. Thank you. Well, Elder Bednar, it's uh, just about time for us to be wrapping up. I first want to tell you um, how much, Alinda, and I love you and how grateful we are for the association that we've had with you and Sister Bednar for now a long, long time. And uh, we could spend a long time just reminiscing about the wonderful things we've learned from you and the experiences we've had, but we will forever be grateful for today and for what you've taught us. And we'd be pleased to turn the remainder of the meeting to you to share your, your thoughts as we conclude. Thank you. Well, thank you. I love both of you very much. I hope you won't remember one thing that was said today. I'm serious. If, if you've taken notes about what's been said, uh, don't use them. I hope the Holy Ghost has brought thoughts to your mind and feelings to your heart that had nothing to do with what was being said. Uh, I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to pay attention to the thoughts that come to your mind and the feelings that come to your heart by the power of the Holy Ghost. You may have been reassured by the Holy Ghost during this time. You may have thought there's something where you were woefully deficient, and maybe the Holy Ghost lets you know you're better than you think. There may be an area where you are filled with pride, and you're not nearly as good as you think you are. And the Holy Ghost has helped you to see that, and you know that you need to repent. I hope that's what you remember and what you act upon. So I really hope that in some future day, you can't remember one word of what was said, but I pray you will never forget what you may have felt by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
You're living in revelation. Be a good boy, be a good girl. Don't expect it to just show up periodically and you kind of have to spiritually supercharge to be ready. Just be good and go and I promise you will be guided. Not in ways that you anticipate. There'll be surprises, there'll be disappointments, but you can always trust in the Lord's influence in your life and in his timing. What I do now, I do joyfully. I witness that God, the eternal Father, is our Father, and he lives. I witness that Jesus the Christ is his only begotten and beloved Son. And I witness that he lives. The tomb is empty, and he lives. I witness that the Father and the Son appeared to Joseph Smith. I wasn't there when that happened. I wouldn't know any better if I had been there, that it occurred. Remember that Korahor said the only way you know is by seeing. Alma taught that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, which are true. I witness that all of those things are true. And I witness that the restoration is ongoing. I left the meeting of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles just before I came to be here with you. I witness the restoration is ongoing. My beloved brothers and sisters, I witness that all of these things are true. And I invoke the simplest of blessings upon you, that you may know that the truths we have attempted to describe today, that hopefully have assisted you in receiving promptings from the Holy Ghost, they're valid, they are true, they are efficacious. They will bless you in every aspect of your life, now, in the future, and forever. In the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.